Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. I'm here in Phnom Penh City and Wat Phnom in beautiful Cambodia. I wanted to talk to you again about digital currencies. It's still something that's very important, this technology that has the potential to change the world. But today I want to make the case to you that Bitcoin, that is Bitcoin Core, the original Bitcoin, is in a lot of trouble and eventually it's probably going to find its way to a decreased relative market capitalization in the digital currency market and possibly eventually a huge decrease in its market capitalization in, in dollar terms. And there's many reasons I believe this, uh, such as the problems in the development team and the problems with the, the electricity, the inability to innovate within that, that structure, and the fact that it's already significantly behind the market. So that's a, that's a brief overview, but I'm going to get into some details. First, I just have to tell you, full disclosure, I sold all of my Bitcoins back in April. And that, I've, uh, in the end, I think it was a, a good decision, though uh, some of you might be saying that's, that seems pretty silly right now when the price going over $10,000. Um, I know some of you are going to say some stuff like, oh, well, he's, he sold all his Bitcoin and he's, he's a supporter of such and such currency and that means he's completely wrong about everything. Well, that's not really logically sound. So if you're going to say something like that, you need to think twice. And I think everybody who sees people doing that, like most people know when you do that, they know you're a little bit deluded or they know you're, you're not really looking you're not on the sincere pursuit of truth. People recognize that. So if you're going to criticize me, I welcome it. Uh, if you're going to, that is, if you're going to criticize my arguments, but make sure you bring the realness, bring your A game. Do not bring slings and arrows to a battle of wits because you're just going to get yourself into trouble. You're going to head down a path to folly and nobody wants that. If you're looking for the truth, then be careful and be precise. The other thing is, of course, I give this disclaimer. I don't know what you should do with your money. I don't want to tell you what you should do with your money. All I'm doing is presenting my own reasoning for my own decisions. And let's have a look at a few of these points. Ah, the first thing to set the context, there are a lot of things in Bitcoin's favor. And that's important if we're going to try to predict what kind of trends are going on. So, of course, Bitcoin has the biggest market cap in all of the digital currency space. And because of that, it, uh, it's, well, that is, it's the first mover. So it has brand recognition. Of course, you get a lot of media attention, even in mainstream media and Forbes and Financial Review, Business Insider. They're all writing articles about Bitcoin and the, there's a lot of them. Uh, it seems like they're addicted to, about talking about it every time the, the price moves up or down. People declare it dead and people declare it, uh, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin cyber Christ and everything. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going around about it. So that's it. That's in its favor. Uh, there's no such thing as, as bad publicity, as the saying goes. The network effect, it's, it's got acceptance by the, the figure that's normally thrown around is 150,000 merchants worldwide accept it. And of course, a, a lot of uh, private people not, not necessarily um, recognized as a, as a public 
merchant or a public retailer are going to accept it and send it as well. So there's a there's a big network effect, and that is that is important um, because of these things. It has what my friend Juan Galt uh, referred to as the the gravity effect. So because it's the biggest in the industry, people notice it. And then it attracts the best developers. So oh, these are all points in its favor. Um, and these are reasons why, firstly, I don't think that the Bitcoin price is going to go away in a hurry. So even if you hear my case today and you say, hmm, what Kurt's saying makes, makes a lot of sense, even if you think that, you don't necessarily need to go out and panic sell. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, the, that might be not the best strategy for for exiting the market in any case so i i think well early this year i thought okay yeah i can see i can easily see bitcoin getting to ten thousand uh, dollars before these uh the the negative factors that i'm going to talk about take hold um now it's it's already reached ten eleven thousand dollars and i wouldn't be surprised if it even reached 20 or 30,000 because it has so much inertia and that's that's really important to get the the full picture here so i don't want to just try to tell you that the, these things are going to come into effect tomorrow that's not really how uh futurism works that is it's not not really how um trying to see into the future works there are many factors at play and the and bitcoin certainly has a lot of things in in its corner at the moment now one idea that's important is the difference between marginal and significant improvements. So if someone wants to take on a new technology or a new technology comes to market, people aren't just going to drop everything and move on to that new technology immediately uh, just because it has like a 1% or maybe even a 10% improvement over what they had previously. Uh, the reason for this is because these, these things are sticky. So you have people that are already familiar with an existing technology, uh, like, hi there, <laughs> with, with an existing technology, like, like they're already familiar with the bank system, with internet banking or telephone banking, visa cards or something like that. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they're used to that and their friends use that. Uh, the other people in the market use that. And so there's this kind of stubbornness or stickiness that keeps these technologies around uh, for, for, for a lot longer. So if you want to displace that, if you wanted to displace Visa or Swift, these bank transfer systems, uh, then you really need something that's going to pop it over the threshold. So it needs to overcome people's uh, need for familiarity and it needs to be really a lot better it can't just be a bit better uh, the, the interesting thing about this is you don't always know and it's not always obvious to everybody what is going to count as a marginal difference or a significant difference so for, for example uh, Betamax versus VHS um, that was a, a, a big war uh, Betamax was first to market it came out in 1975. VHS, uh, depending who you talk to, came out in 1976, 1977. And uh, Betamax had this lead on the market, so they had a better network effect, and they even had better quality in terms of picture quality. But VHS had more important things to the market. They, they Instead of having 60-minute tapes, they had these 120-minute tapes and eventually four-hour tapes. So they were long enough to, to watch a video. And there were also the, the VCRs for VHS were a couple hundred dollars cheaper. So 
they had the things that that really mattered. Um, so on the surface, if you look at it on paper, it might just look like a specification, um, 60 minutes, 120 minutes. Um, maybe that doesn't seem like such a big deal. But in practice, that was the thing that pushed it over the threshold, making it affordable and making it comfortable so you could watch a whole movie and without having to get up and, and change the cassette or you could uh, tape the baseball game, tape a movie, um, a, a, a long TV show, that kind of thing. So... Similarly, with MySpace and, and Facebook, so um, MySpace had this, this big lead on the market and it had millions, millions of users. Uh, and in, you might even say in, in some ways it was um, superior technologically because it had this ad advanced customization. Like you could put uh, sparkly GIFs on your, on your profile of like butterflies with glitter flying out their butt, that kind of stuff. Uh, and a lot, a lot of people like that, but Facebook had the simplicity and had the, the user experience. Again, that was, that was what's important, just like with VHS, user experience really is king. So figuring out what your users actually want. And uh, the point is that first, first mover advantage and uh, network effect, these can be overcome. And uh, it's, not, it's not always obvious what that tiny difference is that, that makes the big difference. Like with Facebook, again, uh, superficially, you can say, well, it's, it's, it's very similar to MySpace. You can send messages, post on people's wall, put, put up pictures of yourself. But the, the mass appeal of Facebook, its simplicity, um, its lack of stupid emo auto-playing tracks on people's profiles were what pushed it over the edge. And the other thing is, um, see, people bring up this first mover advantage. And this is kind of funny because in both of these markets with the VCRs and with social networks, MySpace wasn't the first mover. Friendster wasn't even the first mover. It's actually uh, the site called Six Degrees, which nobody has heard about now. So if you're trying to make the case, well, this, you know, Bitcoin has a, a first mover advantage. That doesn't actually matter. That, that doesn't make that much of a difference. Same with the VHS. I think the, the Umatic or the Philips uh, N1500, those, those were the ones that were first consumer grade um, v, VCR systems. Those were the ones which came first and nobody even remembers them. So uh, first mover advantage. Um, yeah, it has, uh, there's, there's something to it, but it's definitely not everything. It's probably not as much as, as it's hyped up to be in your mind. Um, then we have this, this problem with Bitcoin of retreating use cases, the retreating battle of use cases. So when Bitcoin was, was still young, around 2011, 2012, when I was reading about it, people were talking about using it for micropayments and using it to, to buy a cup, of, a cup of coffee at Starbucks, uh, these, these use cases. Now, um, micropayments are just a, a pipe dream. Micropayments will, will likely, it's, it's unlikely that they'll really be possible with Bitcoin. Um, the, the median transaction fee with Bitcoin at the moment is $3. And that, if you want to make a payment of one cent or five cents, that's just right out there. So if you want to accept um, tiny payments for a paywall on your site or accept tiny tips, like uh, every time if, if you have your 
your your wallet in your in your browser and it's sending like a send every time you look at a page or watch a video on a site nope that's out that's that's just that's very unlikely with with bitcoin at the moment so uh, that's that's one use case that's ruled out similarly with small payments like get, going to get a cup of coffee um i do remember uh, i forget the fellow's name gabriel i think his name's gabriel Shear, um lives in uh fort Fort Galt in uh, in Chile, um, the libertarian community, and I, I remember him saying in an interview that he did uh, use Bitcoin to buy cups of coffee, but it was always a terrible user experience because you would have to wait around for ten minutes to make sure the payment confirmed. So again, um, Bitcoin is isn't that great for for that kind of use case, and a three dollar transaction fee is going to rule that out. Because in most of the world, uh, a cup of coffee costs between twenty five cents and, and ten dollars. So so even paying like uh, 30, 40 percent in a transaction fee, it's not. Is not really workable at lot not at the moment. Then um, you have medium payments. So, so say if you want to send a couple hundred dollars to your buddy, yeah, that's okay. But um, you can normally send a, a bank transfer or use PayPal, and that's going to be better for you. Uh, for large payments, uh, like or international payments, yeah, that's still a valid use case for Bitcoin. So there's still these these uh, particular use cases that, that it's going to work with. And as a store of value, um, which is which is sort of fair, like it's it's gone up in purchasing power over the years. But when you have a system that has progressively less and less uses, you have to wonder how good a store of value is it going to be. Or the other way to look at it is to say, okay, Bitcoin has failed at small, at microtransactions, small transactions, medium transactions. It's not even that great. If it's failing at all of these other use cases, what are the chances that it's going to fail at its most ambitious use case? And I would I would say that's uh, that's something. Of course, as uh, people say, the, the the Lightning Network is going to come in, and uh, the, that is Lightning Networks, and that's going to ch- change things. Um, and that's that's probably valid. Like there's could probably uh, redu- reduce the transaction fees, but that's there's been talk of that for more than two years now. Like I remember the first time hearing about it at the Latin American Bitcoin conference in, in 2015. And it doesn't seem like it's coming along that, that quickly. Um, so they say, they say the roadmap is 18 months. Is it going to be implemented in 18 months? Well, I, I don't really know. Um, there's a, a famous comic from, um, from Scott Adams, a Dilbert comic. And they're in a meeting room uh, and the boss says, all right, if we put our heads down and just work our asses off in 12 months, we can be where our competitors are. We can catch up with them. And Dilbert says, okay, so are you saying that we'll catch up to where our competitors will be in a year from now, which is unknowable, or are you saying that we'll catch up to where they are now, which is stupid? So uh, either way, you're, you're not looking that good because there are already these other currencies that have these problems solved. They have they have cheap transactions, uh, a cent or less, uh, a, even free in the case of uh, IOTA. Uh, 
and these other currencies are already focusing on other things uh, like imp improving the the user experience or marketing or um, the build, building platforms like ethereum or eos or, um, all, all these other things so they that they could be working on whereas bitcoin sitting here struggling with uh, high transaction fees and and uh, these these kind of problems then uh, there is Oh, I made the case in a previous video. It's called Infiltrators Bitcoin Paranoid. And I'm, I make the case that because Bitcoin is something that's so, so threatening to established interests, it means that it's going to attract a, a lot of attention. There's this big threat of uh, central banks or uh, central intelligence agencies trying to take it down. And because of that, I, I presented the case that maybe that's already happened maybe there are, there are already infiltrators in there or people who have been bought off or threatened uh to derail the project so you can check out that video and i think that's uh, that's that's a threat of bitcoin as well as basically any uh free digital currency project that is non non-government digital currency project another point is with segwit so nathan hort uh also known as mod probe smart guy he wrote an article, uh, I, it's called, I looked into SegWit and this is what I found. And he, he makes the case that the, the community has been so censored within the, the, the Reddit forums, uh, uh, RBTC and uh, Bitcoin, that it's, it's almost impossible to really gauge how much support SegWit had. So there's like this artificial consensus and it was very hard to get the criticisms out and find out whether segwit was really a, a good thing or a bad thing uh, nathan also makes the case that there's a key exploit which could mean that uh, as a miner you can spend someone else's bitcoins and that's not necessarily an exploit which is going to become public right away because it's only going to be this this small uh, percentage of uh, the the community or the the economy that has access to that kind of thing so that's that's a risk too so i recommend uh, reading nathan's article another thing is uh, people try to play this like they t they talk about how bitcoin is risk averse and they say that's that's valuable and that's that's true in a sense because when you have a large network it's better to have the de developers that are, that are risk averse rather than reckless developers all right welcome back i just had a little problem with the security guards there and what panom uh there's a apparently an unwritten rule that you can't video record there uh, so the security guard wasn't too happy for me um, but that's all right let's continue as I was saying it's good to be risk averse when you have a large project and it's good to have crack developers but if you do have a risk averse large project and crack developers you're not really getting the full potential out of those developers and uh, eventually what you'd expect is that some of the developers would leave and in programming or software development circles there's this idea called the dead sea effect which is where the excellent developers start to get an, an inkling of what's going on and they they smell something's funny and the project isn't going that well and they start to leave the project eventually only leaving the the mediocre developers behind it's called the dead sea effect and 
if uh, I'm correct about Bitcoin, you would expect that this sort of thing has would have already happened. And actually, that is the case. When last year in January, Mike Hearn announced that he was leaving the project and he, he basically announced Bitcoin is dead. At the time, my, myself and I think a lot of others just sort of ignored it because uh, by, by this time, we've already heard that Bitcoin is dead about 100 times. We didn't pay much attention or we thought he was being emotional or there were, you know, suspicions that he had been paid off by central banks to try to sabotage the project or something like that. Now, looking back at, at his article, uh, he says why the Bitcoin experiment failed and things are a lot clearer that come coming into focus for, for me, at least, uh, where he talks about how the Bitcoin project came together in the beginning. Satoshi gave Anderson the, the reins of the project, um, but he didn't stop to ask if, if Gavin Anderson actually wanted to take control of the project. In fact, he didn't. And so he delegated to five other developers, one of which, uh, one of whom, Gregory Maxwell, doesn't even believe in the vision of Bitcoin and uh, in in a sense, you you might say he's been taking it apart from the inside for for a very long time. Uh, Gregory Maxwell is the ones you see on social media making comments saying that uh, if Bitcoin reaches a hundred dollars in transaction fees and we know it's successful as a settlement layer, that kind of thing. So he never really believed, uh, according to Hearn. Then that brings up another point, which is that. Organizations need to be structured to scale, or that is, organizations that are structured to scale are normally a lot better at scaling. And you can read a very interesting book about it. It's called The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial Myth. And he talks about how you can set up your small to medium business with the structure of a large business, which will enable it to grow and make the roles in the organization a lot more clear. So it can grow into this structure of a large organization rather than trying to trying to grow but still limited by this shell of a, of a small business and organizations that are that are structured to to grow are going to be uh, much better at growing and bitcoin from the way Hearn describes it Bitcoin is not structured like that. It's kind of haphazardly uh, put together on the fly, improvised uh, type deal. And, and then when you have these things like like Blockstream and, and other uh, funders, other investors come along, try to take control of it, uh, it's not really surprising. Whereas when you have Dash uh, or, or other cryptocurrency projects that are more autonomous, the funding within them, um, the, the, the roles more set accordingly, um, that's something that can really scale quite well. Uh, and when you have a system that's managing millions or billions of dollars, that is what you need. Uh, I want to acknowledge a few people, especially um, my friend Juan Galt, because we're always kind of discussing this uh, a little bit on, on Facebook, going back and forth, and he, he still believes quite strongly in Bitcoin, but I think he's, he's breaking down a little bit <laughs> over, over the months. Uh, also, Ash Oro, who I dis discussed this with in, in Chiang Mai, and he had some uh, valuable insight. And uh, the people in the Chiang Mai Bitcoin meetup, um, people who, were, who agreed with me and disagreed with me, uh, the, the ideas that we shared were, were very valuable there as well. Um, but I want to ask you, 
when you invested in Bitcoin, what the, what the conditions were, what did you think this, this sort of thing was really going to do? Like, did you think it would be able to do micropayments and revolutionize, uh, revolutionize uh, social media or content creation on the Internet? Uh, did, did you believe in the, in the dream, like the loftiest ideals of Bitcoin, that it might lead to a more peaceful world? restraining and holding governments accountable, uh, like in situations here in, in Cambodia uh, during the Khmer Rouge, where Pol Pot ordered the, the deaths, the brutal murders of three million humble Khmer people. Do you think Bitcoin would have a chance of doing that? Is, is that why you got in? And today, does it still have that chance? Is it still likely to do it? Because if not, it's time to be considering if you would, if you would buy that investment today. Maybe you would not. Uh, for me, the answer is definitely no. I, w I would not. Now, the, the other thing is, if you got in because everybody is saying it's going up, uh, like today I saw an, an article talking about a pole dance instructor who got into Bitcoin and now she wants to be a Bitcoin guru. And she says, well, don't worry if it, if it goes down a little bit. It's, it's cryptocurrency. It's always going to go up. Uh, if this is the kind of attitude, if, if uh, you only saw Bitcoin as a get rich quick scheme, you're actually building a house on a platform of sand and... It's, it's, it's whether it, it makes you a little money or not, uh, it's not a good way of thinking. So you need to be careful with that sort of thing. I'm out. I'm de definitely, <laughs> definitely out of Bitcoin at the moment. Uh, it's important to remember that the way things are going, the, the habits that people and the that people have and the routines that organizations have spell out their destiny for those willing to read it. So have a look at the writing on the wall and consider what this project has become and where it will eventually lead. Thanks so much for listening. Kurt Robinson signing off from Phnom Penh. Have a great day. Take care of yourself.